just that you know, but God, you are the one whose hand is on it all. And so, God, we live lives of praise, lives of hope. God, use us to encourage those around us. Use us to point people again to you. And I pray that this morning as we open up your word, God, that you would use your word so clearly. You would use your word so powerfully to speak into our hearts and into our life so that we see you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? Hey, just before we jump into the word this morning, a, a quick uh, update for you guys. I was on the phone with uh, Pastor Omar, sorry, on the like video phone thing with Pastor Omar this past week, and uh, we, we meet once a week just to, to talk and to talk about what God's doing in Mexico City. That's our church that we've partnered with, the plant in Mexico City, and um, he, he asked for prayer. Here's, here's a couple things to be praying about. Um, COVID has hit Mexico City very hard. Um, uh, a lot of his church has been impacted. His, his worship leader, Isaac, he has been out for weeks. He's a young guy, and I get it. Young people aren't affected by COVID. He really is affected. He's, he's been wrecked for a while now. So he's asking, hey, pray for Isaac and just the, that he would recover to be able to lead worship again. And, and just so many of his key leaders are sick, and, and, and there's, there's this this. Just praying, God, that we would, as a church that sent and, and has supported, that we would be a church that also would be sending prayers and supporting in prayer, just to be lifting up Omar. He's encouraged. He's encouraged that the Lord is doing the opportunities they have to minister in such a situation, but he said, I just need prayer. And so I'm, I'm super thankful that even, I'm just thinking about now, even in the, the situation we find ourselves in now, that, that God would continue to use us to be a sending church. That we, we never would become a church that says, I want to hold it all for myself that we would sacrifice and give and say, you know what, we can't afford this, but we're going to trust the Lord in this. And, and we're, we're going we're to jump on and, and, and send more money, more resources to a church in Mexico City to see the gospel proclaimed. We're, we're going to send more money, more resources, and, and people who we just love, we're going to send them to Perry Sound to see God do a work in a church there. We're, we're going to take this big thing that's, that's, that's kind of easy because we're a big thing. We're, we're, we're not going to be a big thing anymore. We're, we're going we're gonna to go to Huntsville and to Bracebridge. And man, has that not been hard? And yet I pray that it would never discourage us from continuing to be that kind of church that says, what's next? What's the next town? What's the next sacrifice we can give? What's next, the next thing we can lay down and say, this is not mine. I'm going forward with the gospel. Amen? All right, super long introduction on a, on a Sunday. I'm supposed to be super short. So let me jump into the word here. Um, I, here's the thing. If you go in your Bibles, go, go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. As you're turning to Daniel chapter 2, and you're thinking about the, the, the place we're in right now. I mean, life is kind of upside down for us right now, isn't it? Like, super excited, church reopened, we get together again, then the announcement comes of more shutdowns, and it's not easy to hear. I was talking to one business owner on Friday. It's a, a person who I've been sharing Christ with here in town, just been, been going to their business and talking to them about Christ as much as I can, and, and just bumped into them. And they said on Friday, before the announcement came out, they said, man, if this thing shuts down again, I probably will be out of business. And so I, I want to reach out to them this week to see how they're doing. It's hard. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see people who are isolated. 
But it's, it's so cool to hear prayer requests come in, like the ones we're hearing now of, of people saying, hey, I'm in this, this health crisis, and, and, and it's, it's scary to look, as I look and see, man, what is this going to mean for me in my life in this health crisis? But, but to be able to say, but I know God's in control, and I love having my church supporting me so that I know I'm not alone. And praise God for that, but I also know there are many in our community not connected. People that don't have a church like this. People don't have people that can surround them. And it's hard. Even for those who are here, and you, you may have people that check in on you. You don't feel isolated in this season, and yet it's still hard. And then you open up a book like Daniel and God's word, and, and you see God's people here living in exile, living in Babylon. They're, they're taken away as prisoners of war under this evil king, seeming, and they're, they're experiencing what seems to be an impossible situation. And theirs, listen, ours has been hard. Theirs last 70 years. And so, so here's what I think about that. We can grab our Bibles and we can say, thank you, Lord. Th thank you that we don't have to figure out difficult times on our own, but that you have wisdom and you have, you have hope for us here, here in your word for us. That the, the Bible's not some dated out, uh, old outdated book, but it's, it's alive, it's powerful. It speaks so clearly for the days we live in today. So maybe for you, this morning seems nearly impossible. For you, it might be finances just seem impossible right now. Maybe it's a marriage struggle that just seems impossible right now. Maybe it's a health struggle you're in. Maybe it's a family struggle. Maybe it's it's something going on at school. Like, man, this is an impossible struggle. Maybe it's a, a friendship that is difficult. Maybe even as you look at how church is in this season, and man, it just seems so impossible. Where do you turn? Where do we go for hope? Let me ask you this. Where do you go for hope? Where do you go when life's impossible? Here's where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to give you all three points at once, and we're going to break them down. Here's where we're going as we look at this text. Here's what I want us to see. To thrive when life is impossible, I need to have a proper perspective. What's the perspective? It's this. Life is hard. I am small. God is powerful. There's the perspective we get when we, when we look at what's going on in our time, in our world, in our lives, to, get, to be able to thrive in the impossible, we need to have the right perspective. And it's this, life is hard. I'm small, but God is powerful. So let's break these down then. Start right here with life is hard. You see here as we pick up Daniel's life here, he, at this point as we're reading about Daniel, he, he might be about 17, 18 years old. He's a prisoner of war. His homeland's been destroyed. A bunch of people taken into Babylon. Daniel put into this program, turned into a eunuch. Google that, not a great thing. Trained in Babylonian culture. He's a servant of the king, and life is hard for Daniel. We, we see that in chapter one. Now we hit chapter two, and guess what? Life gets even harder. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says this, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and all the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. So he's got this dream, and this dream freaks him out. 
And so he grabs his trusted advisors, the Chaldeans, the magicians, the sorcerers. These are the people that would be around King Nebuchadnezzar. They would be the ones giving him advice on how to run the kingdom. And he goes, hey, I, I, I need your guys to, to help me out here. Look at verse 4. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my, my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king, and Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Okay, tough day in the job, right? If that's your boss, hey, I need you to complete this. If you don't, uh, torn from limb from limb. He says, tell me what I dreamed, and I will trust that you know what it means. You see the logic here. This is like, you, you know he's freaked out by, by his dreams that he's using such good logic as he talks to these guys. He goes, no, 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 no. If you really have powers, tell me what I dream. When I, I was in college, I, <clears throat> my friend and I were traveling through the States, and we saw this uh, sign inside the road that talked about a psychic convention. And so we decided, don't ever do this. I was dumb. We said, let's go and crash the psychic convention, right? So we went. We found name tags, right? names, put them on, and kind of did the, we sort of snuck into this. And I'm thinking, if they're psychics, they'll know we're not real, right? So we sneak in, <clears throat> and, and one person there says, hey, hey, would you like me to tell your future? I'm like, let's see what happens here. Again, not bright, probably shouldn't do that. I'm, there's demonic in that for sure. Why would I be playing with this? But anyway, I said, sure. And here's what she said. She said, first, I need your credit card. And I said, if you're a psychic, shouldn't you know my credit card number? Right? How about you give me the number and then let's, let's make this happen. That's King Nebuchadnezzar here. He said, hey, if you tell me what I dreamed, if you can't do that, if you can't actually tell me my dream, you're a bunch of fakes. You don't have power. You don't have wisdom if you can't tell me. So, so what do they do? They try again. Look at verse 7. They're like, oh, no, we're stuck. Verse 7. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show you this interpretation. And the king doubles down, right? Verse 8. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. What are they saying? You're saying, you're asking us to do something that's impossible. So Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. He gets furious. He's so ticked off. Look at verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. This is what you call a crisis. <laughs> now, here's what blew me away as I was reading this this week, as I was studying it to be able to preach it. I'm reading this, and I'm going, man, if this was a Disney movie, everything should have wrapped up in chapter 1. There was a crisis. Daniel stood strong in the crisis. He was rewarded. Roll the credits. Wow, dare to be a Daniel. That's all it takes, right? 
Just follow Jesus and everything works out great. Then comes chapter 2 and life is still hard. I would say this, this is one of the major lessons that every follower of Jesus Christ has to come to terms with. We are living in a broken world. And we've given our lives to a servant king. We serve Jesus now. So so now my life is not about me and my pleasure and my comfort and my glory. As John the Baptist says, he must increase, so I must decrease. My life no longer my own. And so if the, the goal of your life as a Christ follower is to be made more and more in the image of Christ and live like Christ, it would seem from Scripture that for God to do this, it's often best done, from what I see in Scripture, it's often best done in the crucible of trials that the purest gold appears in the hottest fires. And so we can have joy in trial when we remember, wait a minute, yes, yes, life is hard. I am small, but God is powerful. God has his hand on the thermostat. And and he's going to use these hard times, these difficult things for his purposes. And what might those be? Why would God ever put us, his children, in hard times? Here's one. Oftentimes it's because the, the difficulties we face help us, equip us to bring comfort to other people. I mean, 2 Corinthians says that God, God comforts his children in trials so they can comfort others with the same comfort with, with which they were comforted. I mean, imagine it this way. Imagine you knew that in two years that God would bring somebody into your life who is going through an incredible difficult time and God would use you to speak into, to, to come alongside them, to share the hope of the gospel. It's a person who's just deeply lost, hurting, in sin, no hope, and you'd be the perfect person to bring that hope of Jesus, that comfort, and their life would completely turn around because you bring this hope to them. But here's the thing, here's the thing. What if in order to do that, what if in order to be, be best prepared for, to minister to that person, you need to go through hard times now? Does that change your perspective on God's purposes? God, life is hard, but use this to prepare, to prepare me to bring eternal hope to someone else. So let me ask you this. How is God using COVID in you? Could you, can you see how even maybe even this week God could use you to bring hope to someone else? And, and maybe we could stop staring at the problem we face and look around to see God's hand and, and how we can be used by him. So again, like who could you phone this week? Who, who could you reach out to who's in our church? Who's someone that you, you, you wonder how they're doing? Like even right now, even as I'm saying that, a name comes to mind. We're like, man, I haven't seen them in a while. I wonder how they're doing. And I challenge you if, if you, if you take notes as, as I preach, like write their name down right now. Don't let that pass you by. And say, you know what, I, I'm gonna call them this week. Who, who's someone who you know does not have the hope of Jesus and maybe God's using this time to press on them to, and also to press on you so you can speak hope into their life. How can you display the glory of God's grace? How, how can you do that in this hard season? How, how, how can you respond to yet another lockdown? Life is hard. You know, oftentimes life is hard because God's using trials to identify our own hearts a little more clearly. The heat goes up, cracks are revealed, right? I mean, have you ever noticed that? Where, where you're like, man, I didn't realize I had an anger problem until... 
I didn't realize I struggled with those kinds of thoughts until I didn't know I was weak in that area until, and maybe God is allowing trial in your life even right now because he's trying to help you see something. So my question is this, what's being revealed? What are you seeing in your life? What's coming out of your heart this season where God's saying, that's it, that, that, that's what I want to press in on. Life is hard, life is hard. Here's our second point, life is hard. I am small, I am small. I mean, look, at, look at verse 12. <clears throat> because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed, right? He's, he's going out. He's, he's about to take them out. And, and I love how the, the, um, the, the people, the, his, his Chaldean uh, um, advisors, they say, king, you're asking something that's too hard. No one can do this. Only a God could do this. We can't. I love that. They're saying, we can't accomplish this. Why? They're saying this. We're small. We're small. And, and, and most of us, even though, even though very few people would ever stand up and, and proudly declare, I am powerful, I am amazing. Listen, even if you wrestle with deep insecurity, and I hope you're not offended by me saying this, even if you're in that place, there's something in every one of us that draws us to want to be the center of the universe. I'm not saying you want to be the center of attention. I'm not saying you want to be the center of the party. But there's something in us that says, man, it's all about me. And then trials come along and reveal, wait a minute, maybe the world doesn't revolve around me. You know, Tim Keller said it this way. He says, if there really is an infinite and glorious God, I mean, we just finished singing to him. We just finished worshiping him. I mean, many or most of you here would say, I've given my life to him, to serve him, to worship him, to follow him. He says this, if there really is an infinite glorious God, does it really make sense for the universe to revolve around us rather than him? Here we have Nebuchadnezzar. He is an actual powerful dude. In fact, Daniel's gonna say later on in this chapter that, that, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you are a king of kings. Not capital K, king of kings, small K, but, but you're the king over, over a, a world empire, the strongest nation in the world right now. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's probably thinking, the world really does revolve around me. I got this dream I need it taken care of. The advisor's probably thinking the same thing. We have the ear of the king. We have this, this space of being his key advisor. The, the world revolves around us, but my question to you is this this morning, what about you? We can be so quick to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a king. I'm not an emperor. I'm not advising any kings or emperors. I'm not in any position of power. So I don't really struggle with being self-centered, but here's the thing about self-centeredness. This, this whole, in the center of the universe, it actually kind of scales. And, and it scales down into the position that you are. I mean, think about your marriage. Are you the center of your marriage? Do you think that your spouse exists to make your life better? That, that, that's making yourself the center of the universe in your marriage where we're actually called by God to serve our spouse, to lift them up, to bless them, to serve them. Maybe for the students or, or kids that are, that are here, that are listening online. Like, like for you, let, let, let me say this really clearly. If you're a student, if you're a kid in a family, you are not the center of the universe. Forgive us parents for making you think you are. You're not. You're in your family to bless your family. For all of us, in, in your workplace or, or at your school, in your group of friends, even here in the church. I mean, 
What does it look like for you? Do you dominate all discussions? Are, are you the center of every breakout in small group? Is, is life more about you than it is about anybody else? Listen, it's so easy for us to make everything about us. It's one of the reasons why we can lose sight of God in the midst of the impossible, in the midst of trials, because we become the center and we're looking only at ourselves. And when we overestimate ourselves as great, we underestimate how great God is. So let's remember in crisis, in the impossible, whatever it is you're facing today, that it's, it's good for your soul to say, I am small. And this season has been a humbling season for so many people. But to have a, a, a right perspective that can take care of panic and, and worry, here's the thing. Daniel had a, a legitimate reason to be worried, all right? If, if the government all of a sudden sent news to you, not that you're going to they're gonna have to shut down again, but the government said, no, actually people are coming to assassinate you really quickly. That, listen, this isn't a made-up crisis for Daniel. This is, this is real. He's not playing the victim here. It's an impossible situation, and yet you see how Daniel responds in this. And hear me clearly. This is not a sermon series where I'm going to be challenging you, dare to be a Daniel, be more like Daniel. My, my hope isn't in increasing your bravery. Our, our, our hope is not that we would have a greater faith. Our, our hope is not in the size of our faith. Our hope is in the size of the object of our faith, right? Where we say, I'm small, but God is powerful. So how's Daniel respond? Look at verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He responds with, with prudence and discretion. He was, he was careful and he was wise. He, he wasn't panicked. He wasn't freaking out. He wasn't loud and brash. Here he is. And remember now, he, he's probably 17 or 18 years old. The, the most powerful person on the planet is out to kill him and he's not freaking out. Well, let's keep going. Look at verse 15. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So Daniel didn't know what was on. He just knew he was going to get killed. So he tells him the thing about the dream. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. He said, I'm going to figure this thing out. Now, now, what's he do? He, he doesn't hide. He doesn't panic. Listen, listen, we don't let fear win when, when the impossible hits us. Look at his response. Look at verse 17. It's so key. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So why did Daniel go and grab his friends? Is it so they could have a pity party? This is horrible. Is it so, hey, let's get together. Arioch, he may be the king of the guard, but if we make a plan, I think we can take him out before he kills us. Did they get together because they wanted to complain about how God had let them down? Were they looking for someone to blame? No, they're gathering together so they could pray. And I love what it says in verse 18. It says they would call out to who? The God of heaven. The, the things weren't actually out of control. The, 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 this wasn't a time to fret and to worry. This was not a time for anger or for remorse. It was a time to pray. 
Daniel grabs his friends. They go to the Lord. And listen, nothing says I'm humbling to admit that I'm small like prayer does. I would say this, if you have little prayer in your life, it's an indication that you think you can handle stuff. We can do nothing apart from prayer. So I would say this, on Thursday, we're having a time of prayer. It's gonna be fully online now that it's been locked down, but we'll have a time of prayer. And and listen, I'm gonna say this with as much emphasis as I can. We need you. This season, I felt a bit like Daniel, and I don't mean strength of Daniel, but I mean in this passage, I feel like I have nothing to lead us in this season as a church, but to come to you, my Hananias, my my Mishael's, my Azariah's, and say, let's seek the mercy of the Lord of heaven together. That's all I got. If, If you're looking, pastor, I hope you're wise to figure out how to deal with government stuff in this. Pastor, I hope you can figure out how this whole thing works out for us as a church. I'm just telling you right now, I don't have that, but here's what I do have. Guys, we gotta be desperately on our knees. How do we reach our communities with the gospel? Man, we gotta gather together and pray. I mean, he goes right after the Lord. And I love that not only did he seek the Lord, Daniel knew how small he was, so he grabbed other people with him. He's like, help me do this. So let me ask you this, who do you need to grab this week to pray with? What part of your life right now do you need to seek the Lord in prayer today? Where is it that you're small but are are acting or thinking or trying to be big? Where would you be ignoring sin or struggle in your life? Who's the person right now that God's laid on your heart that you're seeking to share the love of Christ with so they can have a a hope of the gospel, so they can be changed for eternity? What, What risks do you know God's calling you to step out and take? Listen, listen, let's go after it then. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Luke 18, 1 says you ought always to pray and not lose heart. Philippians 4, 6 says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Life is hard. I'm small. Listen, God's powerful. We go after it in prayer. And God answers their prayer. You see it in verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. His response to this, he's like, God, I'm in trouble. I don't know where this is going to go. God, God, could you answer? God answers, and he bursts out into this song of praise. Look at verse 20. God, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness. And the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you've given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you've made known to us the king's matter. I love this. He responds in worship. Just like prayer, worship is this expression of, man, I am so weak here, but I have hope in God, in your faithfulness, in your power, in your goodness. I mean, you can see written all over that that praise song he busts out. Can you not see it? Where he's really just saying this, life is hard, I am small, but God is powerful and good. 
Our last point this morning is that, if you haven't caught this, God is powerful. God is powerful. Well, let's not lose sight of this. I, I think there's so many other voices right now, especially in the, in the time we live in right now, there's so many other voices telling us other things are more powerful. And, and, and it drives us to, to, to despair, to complaint. To, and, and, and listen, God is powerful. Daniel goes to the king now, and the king asks, hey, can you do this? Can you do what I'm asking? Look at verse 27. Look at Daniel's response in verse 27. Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery the king has asked. I love that. No one can do what you ask. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. I love that. Daniel again, he goes, life is hard, King Nebuchadnezzar. I am small, I can't do that. You've given me something impossible, but God is powerful. And what's he do? When, when life is impossible and he goes to the Lord in prayer, what's he doing? When he gets the answer, Daniel doesn't go, yeah, maybe I can get promoted now. He doesn't go, yeah, tell you what, kill all those other guys because they were false, but me and my boys were the real deal. No, no, what's he do? When he gets the answer, he, he uses it to point people to God. He gives all the glory, all, all the glory, all the credit to God. He's pointing Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, here's your real hope. In fact, he interprets a dream to Nebuchadnezzar to tell him why he's so freaked out by it. And we're going to go deeper into this dream in Daniel chapter 7 where it's, it's unpacked a little bit more. But let's real quickly, here's the dream. It says this in verse 30. Sorry, verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken into pieces. It became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. He's, he's going to explain to him what it is. Here's what we know. We know as he explains it to him, here, here's what's going on. Here's the, he says, each layer represents a different kingdom. So the, the, the golden head, he goes, that, that's you, King Nebuchadnezzar. That's Babylon. That's the Babylonian empire, the empire of gold. Next comes his arms of silver. He goes, this is a kingdom that's going to come and wipe you out, Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to take you out. And, and that's the, the Medo-Persian Empire. And for those of you who didn't study or pay attention in world history class, that's the really huge, crazy army in the movie 300, right? Remember those guys that were coming in? No? Okay, anyway, let's keep going. All right, if you did watch 300, you know the next one that comes next, right? The bronze part are the Greeks, right? Sparta. No, okay, all right. <clears throat> The last one, the feet of iron and clay, that's the iron legions of Rome. So, so here we are, 2,500 years ago, 600 BC, this being written. And God's word is awesome. When Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, you gotta understand what was going on. Persia was actually a Babylonian uh, vassal state. Like they were, they were under Babylonian rule. The Greeks were this group of warring tribes. Rome was like a little village on the, the Tiber River. And, 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 and listen, listen, to all of that to say this, 
God's not surprised by the events of the world. He's the one turning the wheels of history. Here we have these governments coming and going. And, and although in Scripture, in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2.13 and Titus 3.1, we're told to honor and respect our governing authorities, to, to be a blessing in our communities because God's the one who's put them in place. But listen, our hope is not in a government. Let me make it more personal here that this statue that represents governing powers, listen, in your own life, your hope, my hope, isn't in any little kingdom I'm building. So when life is hard, what kingdom do you build? What do you run toward? What's your functional king and Lord and Savior? What, what kingdom are you trusting in? Is this saying, listen, they're all wiped out. There is no hope there. Now, now if, if this is the end of the chapter, That'd be pretty discouraging. Okay, that's my hope. My hope is life is impossible, and yep, it's impossible. Thanks. Listen, listen, life is hard. I am small, but God. But God. Because there's, there's one more part of the dream. There was the statue, but then there was also this, this rock. Now, now, who's that stone? What is that stone that comes and destroys the entire statue? What's that stone of Daniel 2? It's, listen, it's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My love in verse 11 where the, the Chaldeans said, there's no one who can show this to the king except the gods. Did you catch the phrase? Whose dwelling place is not with flesh. I love that because if, if you're a student of scripture, you would know that, wait, John 1.14 says the word became flesh, God becomes flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And they say, there's nobody can do this except the gods who do not dwell with flesh. Wait a minute, we know that God did that. Daniel's saying there's coming a stone that will destroy all the false kingdoms, a stone not cut by human hands. Romans 9.33 says, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. As believers, we have a hope. The kingdom of God that destroys all other, really I would say this, reveals how weak they are and destroys them. It says that that stone will grow and fill the earth. The kingdom of God is growing and will never be destroyed. And so in the midst of trials we face in life here now, God's declared, listen, I'm in control. I am powerful. All other powers will be crushed. It's why Jesus gave his life, crucified for our sin, resurrected to defeat death and the grave. Why? To establish his sovereign rule over everything in this universe. And if Jesus is sovereign, if he's Lord and King over all the universe, listen, that means he's Lord and King over me and you. So my question is this, as the worship team comes up, is your hope built on him? Is every corner of your life in submission to Jesus Christ? Is your life built on that rock? Is, is that evidence in the way that you speak and you live in this season? Is, is it shown in your prayer life? Is it shown in how you worship? If, if, if you want a Daniel kind of life, a, a life that's engaged on mission, a, a life of faith, a life that thrives even when life is impossible, we need to have the right perspective. And let me say it this way, a different way. Not just the right perspective, we need to have the right foundation. So when life is hard, I can say, I'm small, 
I'm not the foundation, but God. God is powerful. Listen, God is powerful. God is good. And so we grab each other, we cry out to God together, and again, what do we do? We move our lives back onto the rock. Where we see, man, uh, I'm failing here, the, the, I'm not making it through. Then we grab someone and say, would you pray for me? Would you show me again? And we move back on to rest on the rock of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing that he's really the only one we can trust with our eternity because he is the rock. He's the stone the builders rejected. He's now become the cornerstone for a whole new world. And if you understand Jesus in that way, if you trust him in that way, listen, you can thrive. Would you stand as I pray? Lord God, may our trials we experience drive us to see you more clearly. In fact, even right now, God, I, I pray that in this moment with all that's happening around us in our world and in our community and in our lives, God, may even right now, that we'd, we'd turn our hearts from focusing on the trials and we look be behind those trials to see you more clearly, to see your hand in this all, to see that you alone are worthy, to, to see that you're the only one who is golden from top to bottom with no feet of clay. God, I pray even now as we worship that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see you, to rest our lives on you. And God, you send us out of here to be used by you so that so many others can see your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.